mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? We, at the fullness of time, God breaks in to planet Earth. Galatians 4.4 says, in the fullness of time, he came and, and he announces by Gabriel that John, or excuse me, that Zacharias and Elizabeth are going to have a baby. They've been barren. They're old in age. And God, out of the death of an older womb, is going to bring grace. He's going to, and if you remember with me, the names, they mean something. Zacharias means God remembers and Elizabeth means his oath or his promise. Well, what was his promise? That he would bring a Savior. And so now the grace of God is bringing a Savior. And Gabriel, this strong man of God, announces it. And the Savior, uh, of course, is going to come through a virgin. But she's betrothed to Joseph, which means he will add to Mary. Mary means their rebellion. And it's all going to be put upon the Lord's salvation, Jesus, the Messiah. And you guys have been with us. If you've been with us for two or three weeks, we've been talking about that, that every one of the names tell us what is going on in the gospel when as God breaks forth and breaks into their lives and speaks to them. He remembers his oath and a strong man of God brings grace and he will add their rebellion to Jesus. But in, then, there's, then there's the birth of John the Baptist that happens. And we see, as we closed last week, so, so what's this significant about John the Baptist being born? Listen, everything is done according to God's word. Isn't that what Mary said? Mary said, let it be done to me according to your word. And so here comes Gabriel. He announces it. And, and then it really happens. They conceive in their womb. They bear the grace of God. And again, we see that God is always keeping his promises. And then Mary, yeah, Mary is pregnant with child, overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. Listen, listen, no flesh involved. Listen to me. No flesh involved. Why? Because it's a spiritual kingdom. And so now this baby is born by spirit. It's going to be the savior of the world. God in flesh, Emmanuel, is going to come down. But what is it? Why is it so significant? Let's think about this for a minute. Let it be done to me according to your word. What was the lie of the devil? Remember, it was the attack of the Word of God. And that's where sin came from when, when uh, Eve chose to listen to the devil. 
Did God really say? And so she followed what wasn't according to God's word. She followed what wasn't truth. And she began, to, and, and Adam and Eve began to follow the lie and listen to another voice. And now in restoration, through grace, we have a young lady, their rebellion, who says, let it be done to me according to your word. And that's exactly when we realize our rebellious nature and we realize that there's a Savior and then the seed of God can be birthed in us is when we say, I agree. Let it be done to me according to your word. Well, where is that at? That's at the marriage ceremony that we have in Romans 10, 9, and 10. When we both agree to the same set of facts once again in our life, we're restored back into the family of God when we both say, I do. Remember Romans 10, 9, and 10? That if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. When both of us agree together at the same time, and it's the same as you and I saying, let it be done to me according to your word, because we are believing once again. We're entering back into a place where we say, yes, your word is truth, and now you can sanctify me with your truth. Your word is truth. And so, again, you can begin to bear fruit. But let me just tell you one little part that's, that's interesting is that that's a conversation. That's intimacy with God. And listen to me. Listen, I don't, I don't want to be weird and I don't want you to think that it's weird. But the original definition of intercourse is social intercourse with God. Social intercourse is conversation. It's when two people are talking and two people are growing and two people are learning and God never learns anything. But my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. So what happens is, is when you're brought back in in this wedding ceremony and you say, I do, you become the bride that's listening to the head, you're covering the Christ and you begin to listen for his voice and you begin to want to say, let it be done to me according to your word. Lord, take my rebellion. Take those things away from me that cause me to say no to your word and let me always be in the center of your will by saying, let it be done to me according to your word. Take the Mary from me. Take the rebellion from me and bear fruit in my life. In the same way the Holy Spirit overshadowed her and bore fruit in her womb, is the same way that you and I bear fruit of the Spirit when we believe the, the Holy Spirit comes in. The Spirit of Christ comes into our life and seals us. And then as we follow and learn to obey and we hear His voice, well, let the, let, listen, listen, listen. Hear what the Spirit has to say to the church the ecclesia, the called out ones. And as you hear it with an intent to obey it, it bears fruit in your life, in your womb, in the center of you, and you become more like Christ every single day. But that's the fruit that we need to bear in our dead wombs. We're just like uh, uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth. We were dead in our trespasses. They were dead compared, and they had given up hope on God because they were so old. 
And they, and they didn't think that they could bear fruit, and God bore fruit in it. And then what happens when you are dead in your trespasses and you believe in Jesus? You become betrothed to Christ as a chaste virgin. And now as a virgin, you can bear spiritual fruit without ever having intercourse, and you're presented to God pure and holy and righteous because of Christ's righteousness, and you're becoming just like him positionally and practically. And he bears fruit in your life through the Spirit. Not do anything you can do in the flesh, but by you hearing and obeying and saying, let it be done to me according to your word. Well, then you have to find out what his word says. And that creates this relationship of entering into the word of God and prayer and fellowship and following him close behind. And then you have to make a decision when you see what he's saying, either to say yes or no, and he will chastise you when you say no after so long of a period because he wants you to grow. And he says, I will complete the work I started in you until the day that he sees Christ Jesus in your life. What is that? That's the fullness because he's birthed Christ Jesus in us as his children. He wants to put the same character, the same nature, and go back to where it was before the garden where we're created in his image. As his children. And as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. Are you attempting? Are you trying? Are you asking the Holy Spirit to lead you? And then are you saying, Let it be done to me according to your word? Remember the last verse of chapter 1. John the Baptist, grace grows, so the child grew. What grew? The gracious gift of God grew. And became strong in what? In spirit. Not strong in, in money. Not strong in business. Not strong in school. Not strong in worldly government. Not strong in anything. Strong in spirit. And was in the desert till the day of his manifestation to Israel. To those that are governed by God. Then he, then he is presented to them as one that says, make straight the way of the Lord. As one that says, there's one coming after me. He was never testifying of himself. He went out to be a witness of the Messiah that was coming. And then that's what you and I are supposed to be doing. And so then we open up chapter 2. What we will call the testimony of Christmas the birth of Jesus Christ. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. 
For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to, the, to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord had made known to us. And they came with haste and found the Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at these things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Father, we just thank you for the testimony of Christmas, the testimony of the birth of your son, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. We know that it didn't happen on December 25th, but Lord, we know that it happened, that he was born of a virgin, just as it was prophesied. Just as you said it would happen, he was born. You, God, became flesh and uh, pitched your tent among us. And we beheld the glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Thank you for the greatest gift ever given. Thank you for your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness. Lord, thank you for giving us eyes to see and ears to hear what you would say to the church today. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look back. Now, it come to pass. Don't you like that? I can't pass it up. It came to pass. Everything that God has ever said will come to pass. Everything in His Word is going to come to pass exactly the way He said it. And it's not because He's prophesying it. It's not because he, he said it was going to happen. It's because he's outside of time and he's seen what man done in his creation. He's seen what the devil did to man in his creation. And he's so wise that he just actually uses it all for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He's not twisting it and making it happen. His wisdom is so far beyond ours that he just uses it all together and weaves it together. And, and uses those that reject him to show his mighty power. And he uses those that accept him to be witnesses of his glory and of his grace and his mercy and his son, Jesus Christ. Which one are you going to be? It came to pass in those days that a decree went out. Let me get some words up here so I can see what these are saying to us. A decree went out. From Caesar Augustus. That all the world should be taxed. That's the King James. All the world should be taxed. Are you serious? I don't have any words. That's good. I don't know how I did that. Left all my words at home. For the first time ever. But that's fantastic. We'll be fine. So Caesar Augustus. Whoa. 
Caesar, Augustus, is Octavian, which is Julius Caesar's nephew, which he adopted uh, at about 45, I think it was. And Augustus means venerated one. It comes actually from the eighth month, uh, uh, August. Uh, it means venerated one or uh, one to be worshipped, one to be revered. And this is the name that was given in those days to uh, the Caesar, which is a title that would be ruling over the Roman now empire. Now listen, during this time, we see that there's something going on that's going on right now. At that time, there was what was called the Roman Republic. And it was actually run by three different relatives of Julius Caesar and three different areas. One was Anthony and the other one, I forget his name, and I don't have my notes for that. So listen, uh, what happened is, is that it ends up that Octavian or Octavius, he defeats both the others and destroys them and it becomes an empire and he's ruling all of it. There's one power, one government to rule everything. And they say it was one of the times of peace. Well, why was it peace? Because of death culture because of tyranny, because they said, if you don't agree with us, we will kill you. So everybody was afraid to say anything different than what he was saying, what the Roman government was saying, what the one world government, you could call it, even though it wasn't the complete world, it was so dominant that all roads led to Rome. And that's why it was called the fullness of time when Jesus comes, is because everybody is in the same place, being led by the same government, and Jesus comes to set them free, uh, at the, the Savior of the world. So he, he, he makes this decree, once he dominates everything, and he has now an empire, and his Senate gives him this name, he turned down, he turned down the name of dictator, he turned down the name of king, and the Senate actually voted in the name of Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus. And listen to this. One man, he speaks, and the whole world obeys. It's coming again soon. Where one man is going to speak, and everybody will obey, or there will be death if you don't obey. You won't be able to buy or sell you won't have any food. You won't get anything unless you agree with what they are saying. Now listen, because what, what does that really remind you of? It's the opposite of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is given to you freely. You can say this is truth. This truth gives you life. This, truly gives, this truth gives you salvation. You get to be with the creator of the world and, and, and enjoy him all of the rest of eternity. Or now you have this antichrist, this instead of Christ, and he says, I will force it. You will obey. You will be dominated. It's from tyranny. And if you don't listen, I will kill you. So there's the exact opposite where you have no choice. But with God, you have freedom of choice and free will of choice to have life and that more abundantly. And so we have to decide who are we going to listen to. So now that he's dominated, he's gotten rid of the other two leaders. Uh, he comes forward and he says, OK, let's find out what we got. Let's tax everybody. And when they taxed everybody, they counted everybody. It's called registered here, but it was a tax. And everybody would have to go back to their home city. Now, it's interesting that Mary and Joseph both are from the lineage of David. So they both had to go back to Bethlehem. And at this time, you know, you have um, uh, the uh, 
Caesar Augustus is the most powerful man on the planet, and he does this, but really God already knew what he was going to do because you can read about it. Look, in Micah 5.2, you read about this, and we've read this already during our uh, Christmas testimony. Look at this, Micah 5.2, but you, Bethlehem, house of bread, Ephratah, which means fruitfulness, it's a district, Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, the region, yet out of you shall come forth to me. The Son is coming forth to God, and then he will be given to the world. The one, who to, be, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from of old, he's the ancient of days, from everlasting. Remember John 1.1? 1, 1? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And what did Mary say? Let it be done to me according to your word. It's the same thing as saying, let it be done to me according to your will, according to your ways, according to what you have said, God. It's the same thing as being involved in him and the plan of redemption of the whole world. It doesn't make, it's the same thing. And where does that happen at? With truth. Because your word is truth. So we're given this privilege to be involved with God and even the most powerful man on the planet, God already knew what he was going to do. God already had written it into the scriptures and knew that the craziest thing on the planet, think about this for a minute, if guys and gals, especially if you've been married and your wife has been great with child and she's almost nine months pregnant or is nine months pregnant, she's getting ready to, to, to bust and then somebody says, uh, get up and go. 70 miles. You're going to travel 70 miles on a donkey. Think about that for a minute. The government says to do that. We don't want to obey the government in smaller things. But now the government's saying, hey, we're going to tax you. Go to your home city. And they're going to get up and go. They're going to obey instead of argue. And when they obey, they're really being in the will of God. Because the government wasn't asking them to do anything that was evil, so they obeyed it. The time that we're able to reject what the government asks us to do is when they ask us to do something that would keep us from doing what God wants us to do. And they obeyed the, the, the authorities, maybe out of fear, maybe because of the death culture. But when they obeyed it, they actually went to the place they were supposed to be. And we're going to see that Bethlehem means house of bread. And the bread of life is born in Bethlehem, in the city of David, exactly where prophecy said it was going to happen at. So the whole world is going to be taxed. To them, it was about money. The love of money is the root of all evil. All they were doing was trying to get the money for the people. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So now it puts us right down into time and place. And so people knows exactly when it happened. And there are those that say, wait a minute, Quirinius, Quirinius governed twice. The word first there is talking about him first ruling because he later ruled again too. But it's when he first ruled uh, Syria. So all went to be taxed or registered everyone to his own city and of course we are already told that um joseph and mary are, are from the descendants of david so we see now in verse four joseph also went up from galilee 
um, the heathen circle, out of the city of Nazareth, hmm, guarded one, means guarded one, into Judea, which means praise, or he shall be praised, to the city of David, which means beloved, uh, which is called Bethlehem, house of bread. Why? Because... This is why he was obeying the government, because he was of the house and lineage of David. And what did they do? To be taxed with Mary, their rebellion, his espoused or betrothed wife is not in the original text, okay? Because it's just betrothed. It's not a wife yet. She's not wife yet. Listen, she's nine months pregnant, but she's not wife yet. Listen, this is very important who was with child. So she's great with child, the King James says. Um, and here they go on this 70-mile journey. and It's going to fulfill a 700-year-old prophecy from Micah 5.2 that we just read. Now, I, I want you to just to pop over. I want to, because I want to, I want to just really... Um, just kind of look at this for a second in Matthew because I want you and go to Matthew chapter 1 verse 16 first because I want you to see that Mary is not the wife right now because they're betrothed they're espoused they're engaged is what we would call it and there was never a time that we're going to see in scripture where they actually got married it's not recorded Listen, look at 116. I just wanted to see the players first because in 116, we're given the genealogy all the way from 1 to 116. You're given the, 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 the 28 generations, I think is what it is. Um, oh, it's actually uh, 42 generations. I apologize. Um, of From Adam all the way to Jesus, from the first Adam to the second Adam. But look at 116, interesting as I looked at it. Notice, notice who Joseph's dad is, Jacob. Isn't that interesting? Because Jacob is the one who originally named Joseph uh, back in Genesis when all of this started. And Jacob means supplanter or heel, heel catcher, the one who lays traps. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. It's the original that we see, right, that is the sinner that, that we still say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because he's a God of deceivers and liars and sinners. All of us are confined underneath that same place as a heel catcher. Uh, and, and what we want to see is that, that, listen, because of Jacob, he begot Joseph, he will add the husband of their rebellion to Jesus. It's right there. It all began with Jacob. He's the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, it began with Adam. But I just thought it was interesting that we still see it even there in the genealogy. The hill catcher is there. And then Joseph and then the husband of Mary. It is called the husband. Uh, but I wanted you to see 118. Uh, Beginning in 118, well, Matthew, who is a Levite, writes down. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. Because, you know, in Luke, we're getting something that nobody else puts down. 
Nobody else is recorded. Remember, Luke does an autopatia. He does an autopsy of the body of Christ. He interviews Mary. He gets information that nobody else interviewed her in God. And, and so we see. Now, this is the birth of Jesus Christ. It was as follows. After his mother Mary, their rebellion, was betrothed to Joseph, he will add, before they came together, that's a euphemism for had uh, sexual contact, she was found with child, and we're told, of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. What does that mean? Well, what they would do if a woman was pregnant before there was actual uh, uh, the marriage, the consummation of the marriage, it meant she was an adulteress and they would make a public spectacle of her and they would bring her out in front of everybody and they would stone her to death because she had had sex and it wasn't with her betrothed. She was no longer pure. And you could go back and read about that in Deuteronomy. But notice this, but, verse 20, 120 of Matthew. But while he thought about these things, so he didn't just rush to judgment. He didn't just rush in. He's thinking about them and saying, what am I going to do? Because a just man, listen, if, if you're a just man and you're a righteous man, you also give grace and mercy. Listen, even under the law, there's grace and mercy. Behold, an angel, probably Gabriel, of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you, marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Notice this announcement that this strong man of God gives to Joseph in this time, right? So still not married, and it says in verse 22, so all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us, which is translated God with us. I should have... Uh, just read that and that's isaiah 7 14 now here's where i wanted to get you to is verse 24 and 25 then joseph being aroused from his sleep obeyed he did as the word of god said he did as the angel of the lord commanded him and took to him his wife listen that's kind of like meaning took into his house he took to him to his wife. Because remember, the next text we're going to see is the Magi come and they're in the house. He took her into his house and did not know her euphemism for they did not have sexual contact till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. So that would have been the consummation. Listen to me. This is a very important thing to think about. That would have been the consummation of the marriage after Jesus was brought forth from her womb. Now listen to me, typology. I want you to see this. You and I, 
We're betrothed. The Holy Spirit overshadows us. We can bear fruit. We're pregnant with possibility that we can bear fruit in our womb, but we are only betrothed to Christ as a bride. Listen, the wedding has not been consummated. He's taken us into his house as children, but the wedding has not been consummated until the wedding supper of the Lamb when we cross the finish line. And the same testimony we see here. She was taken in, but we never see until they actually slept together the consummation of this marriage. And again, let me tell you that Social intercourse is more important in the spiritual realm than physical intercourse because nothing good dwells in the flesh. So everything that we're doing is social intercourse. I'm not trying to make it funny. I'm telling you the kingdom of God, that it's social intercourse where he speaks, we listen, and then that builds the relationship. And as we obey the truth, that produces fruit in our womb, fruit in our life. And it looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And when we cross the finish line, we're going to be just like Jesus will be in his image once again and fully birthed. And that's when the consummation will happen at the wedding supper of the Lamb. So at this time, we're betrothed, but we need to begin this social intercourse with hearing the word of God and the voice of God and learning to obey God. Because see, he doesn't just want to save us and our body. He doesn't just want to save our spirit. He wants to save our body, soul, and spirit. Every bit of us. So that means that he doesn't just want this flesh that says, I will obey. He doesn't just want the spirit that he's now sealed and married to us. What does he want? Our mind, will, and emotions. He wants to change our desires. He wants to change the way we think, the way we act, what we do, what we pursue. He wants to change that completely by us dying to self and surrendering and allowing his seed to overtake our seed and train us in right living before God. That's the whole body, soul, and spirit. That's sanctification of everything. So we desire to go do this. I grew up desiring to be the best drummer in the world. I wanted to be like Neil Peart. And the first thing God had me do was give my drums away when I got saved. I gave them away. I said, that's what I've always pursued in my life is to be a drummer that was better than Neil Peart. And I don't, it means nothing to you and it means nothing to me now. But that was my point. My desire was to be the best drummer ever in a rock band. That was weird, but that's what I lived for. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And as soon as I got saved, God had me give them away. I got enough drummers. I need people that will proclaim the word of God. And so I gave them away. I could have been disobedient and kept them and said, no, this is what I like to do. I'm going to do it also. But he wants to take our desires away. And if you give yourself away, then he can fill you back up. And you're never going to give away more than what he has given you. But you have to say no to self, no to your desires, no to what you want to be, and yes to what he designed you to be. And then he will change you from the inside out. But it begins in here. 
It can't be like the church today that's apostate and everything happens out here. And there's no inward transformation. See, redemption isn't complete without inward transformation. It has to begin in the mind, will, and emotions where your mind is changed. I change my mind. I repent. I'm going the other way. My desires were wrong. And I have to stop pursuing that thought and pursuing that direction. And I have to begin to follow close behind him. That's salvation. That's deliverance from the sin nature. That's deliverance from selfish works that we think we deserve when we deserve nothing but death. That's why it's so important to let the scalpel of God, the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, to get in there and cut away at who we were so that we can become who He died for us to be, His children that are led by his word, led by his spirit, living in his house, obedient to his word, who would say, let it be done to me according to your word. After your word. We were looking at that last night, wasn't we? After your word. So, here they are. They travel 70 miles. David or excuse me, uh, um, Joseph and Mary. He will add their rebellion. They went to the house of bread. And look at verse 6, because that's the number of man. So it was while they were there, verse 6, the days were completed for her, their rebellion, to be delivered. Soteria, delivered, saved from their sin nature. Notice it doesn't say for her to deliver the baby. It's for her to be delivered. And then so what happened, God? Verse 7, God steps in and she brought forth her firstborn son. That's because she had many other children with Joseph later. You can read about that in Matthew 13, I think verse 55. I don't have the notes before me right now. There's seven, firstborn son, and what did she do? She wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Listen to me. What are you wrapped in? What's your Savior wrapped in? Listen, are you still wrapped in flesh? We're talking about Christmas. We're talking about Christmas. Listen to me. There's a sad thing going on, and, and, and I don't want to be legalistic, but there's a sad thing going on today. Um, many churches are closed today on what we celebrate in this world, and people argue with us and want to take Jesus out of the world, and people argue with us that today is not his birthday and sadly, the testimony, the witness of the church, when the people out here drive by and they see churches closed on Sunday morning, the testimony is, is that they're at home practicing the same thing that everybody else is practicing. Santa. Oh, I didn't put no Santa Claus up. 
You're still at home. Instead of being with the family of God, on the morning of his birth that we talk about and tell the world about, that is supposed to be the light of the world, and people are at home. Instead of taking this perfect time to be a witness that we're not doing what everybody else is doing that's chasing commercialism. Listen, is there any room for Jesus in your inn, in your house, in your lodging place? Is there any room for Jesus? Listen, because there's no room for Jesus in the government. There's no room for Jesus uh, in our colleges. There's no room for Jesus in our schoolrooms. There's no room for Jesus in our hospitals. Not the Jesus of the Bible. And people can get mad if they want. The Jesus of the Bible is not in any hospital that I know of. There's no room for Jesus in our businesses. No room for Jesus in our cities. And there's no room for Jesus in our homes. And now in this apostasy, there's no room for Jesus in our churches. Oh, he testifies. I'm not doing the testifying. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock, the door of the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. Revelation 3.20, the last generation of the church. And if anyone will open the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Wedding supper of the Lamb, fellowship, social intercourse is what he wants to have with us. It's not about your behavior and your sin and all of those things. It's about will you hear his voice and will you follow? Will you come and be the child of God and let him transform you? He has the power to do it. It's not about you transforming yourself. Well, I'm going to get these things out of my life. I'm going to do these things. I'm going to do those things. I'm going to get this done. It's about just surrendering to what he's called you to do by the power of the Spirit and the Word of God. He'll do the rest of the work. It's fishing. He'll catch you. He'll clean you. He'll take care of you, washing and cleansing you and making you his child. If he can overshadow a virgin and bring forth life out of a womb that never had known a man, what can he do in our lives? has nothing to do with knowing man it has to do with knowing the god man the one who come to earth and took flesh and dwelt among us it has to do with social intercourse with him a conversation with him time with him knowing who he is and what he's doing and what he called you to do that's the greatest gift ever given have you opened it or are you still wrapped in self are you still wrapped in these ripped, raggedy cloths like they put him in when he came and they laid him in a manger? Or are you clothed in his righteousness, knowing your identity, unwrapping your inheritance, walking in the freedom that he has given us, and going out and telling other people in his power, his might, his strength? No matter what they say to you, no matter what they do to you, no matter what government they bring in. Isn't it interesting? I just wanted to ask you just quickly, isn't it interesting that they would bring the president of Ukraine, Zelensky, may I get kicked off of Facebook forever, Would they would bring him before our Senate, before our government, and let him stand in the place of our president with the vice president and the speaker of the house behind him, not our president anywhere around, and he gets to speak, and the whole country goes, oh, a hero 
Somebody that's being lifted up as a soldier. See, that's where, that's where Caesar Augustus come from. He was a great soldier that was being lifted up to rule and dominate and change a republic into an empire. And we have this guy who's done nothing but outlaw Christianity and promote homosexuality and transsexuals in Ukraine. And he's been getting millions and millions and millions of dollars of our money, our taxpaying money to kill babies and to kill Christians and to destroy and to lead a lie. And you know what they say? If you speak against Ukraine, then you're not patriotic. You're evil. Well, guess what? My kingdom's in heaven. Guess what? I'm a citizen of heaven. I speak truth. I don't care what you say. Go find out the truth, people. Stop watching the nightly news and believing them. They're a bunch of liars. How do you know if they're lying? They got their mouth open. I don't care whether it's Fox News or CNN or any of them. If they got their mouth open and it's not from the Bible, they're lying to you, misleading you, distracting you, getting you to follow the lesser of the two evils, and they're both still evil. They're not the truth of God that sanctifies and washes and cleanses and leads you into a relationship with God. And let my children say Amen and amen. Listen, is there any room in your house for the truth of God? Or are you still wrapped up in swaddling cloths? Or are you dressed in royal robes of Christ's righteousness? Because that's what you get when you believe him and say, let it be done to me according to your word. I trust in your death, burial, and resurrection. You are enough. Is this any birth for a king? Is this any birth for a savior? But he came to the lowly. Look, they laid him in a manger. Go look at some nativity scene. And the lies that are there. And then tell me that we're not following lies in the church. A nativity scene has wise men. A nativity scene has Jesus in a little bitty baby crib with some hay underneath him. This is not what happened. This was some lean-to in a city that was overrun by visitors because everybody had to come back because the world was in chaos because they knew that if they didn't obey that, that Caesar Augustus would kill them because they had to follow and obey this tyrannical government. So they all go back there. There's no room in the inn. So they go live in a lean-to where cows would be counted and, and stored or sheep. And a manger is not a cradle. It's a carved out in a rock place where cows would eat their food. The bread of life was laid in a manger for you and I to taste and see that the Lord is good. And he come to the lowly of heart. He come to those who would listen and honor and obey. And we can't even fathom that in the church today. We have to clean it all up where these shepherds are getting ready to come and where Mary was at. They were there. There was probably a, a cow dung and, and, and camel dung and there was all kinds of stuff all over and it was probably a little bit chilly. And here we have the Savior of the world born in a barn. And we cleaned it all up, didn't we? Go drive by any manger scene. And you got wise men there. Listen, they didn't come for two years later. They were at the house already, back at Nazareth when the wise men came. They weren't in Bethlehem anymore. 
And then we go, well, we're not lying. We're not misleading. We're not deceiving. We're still teaching the truth. Not if we're not speaking out against obvious wrongs in the word of God, in the representation of God, in the presentation of the gospel. And I'm just here to tell you that this morning, I believe that churches should have been open. I'm not being a legalist. I'm not being mean. I'm just saying that we have a witness. That's what we're supposed to be, the light of the world. And people that were at home opening packages could have done it early. And people should drive by and see churches meeting on this day more than any other day. But we don't care anymore. We say, oh, don't judge me, man. I'm staying home. I'm going to open packages with my family. Listen, your family should be trained in the way to go. Your family should be in a church. Your family should be with the family of God. Somewhere fellowshipping and saying this is our Savior's birthday. And if they want to argue about it, argue about it. But listen, this is the greatest time of year to proclaim Jesus. The only reason we would give gifts or receive gifts is because of the example of our God and Savior who gave us the greatest gift that was ever given. Or we have no reason to ever give a gift. There's a day coming when they're going to kill two prophets in the streets. And then the world will give gifts and treat it like Christmas. They will mail gifts all around the world to celebrate these two prophets who have the power to call down fire and turn water into blood. They're going to celebrate it like it's Christmas, the world is. And right now, we should be witnesses of what's going on, that this is a lie. Every place is a lie. The whole world lies underneath the sway of wickedness. And the church should be shining a light and saying, no, we're not perfect, but we're not who we used to be because God is transforming us. He didn't just die for us, but he redeemed us and he paid for our sin and he's transforming us and we're becoming more like him every day. Not the same old person that just says, I go to church. So, Jesus, born, had in a barn, wrapped him in some rags, laid him in a feeding trough. We call it a manger. Because there was no room for them in the inn, no place open, oh, no vacancy signs up. Is there any room for him in your life? Listen, I wasn't making an indictment against the church. I would never speak against God's bride. I'm not going to put my hands on God's bride. I'm making an observation of the apostasy of the so-called church that would rather practice everything that's going on in the world than be a witness to the birth of Jesus. The testimony of the birth of Jesus goes on. Verse 8. Notice 6. Completed for us to be delivered. 7. Jesus is born 
and laid in a manger where you can taste and see that he's good. It's your choice. Eight, we're going to see new beginnings. Now there were in the same country shepherds, those who lead sheep, take care of sheep, living in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. It is nighttime and it is dark. And behold, an angel, probably Gabriel still, of the Lord stood before them. See, the, see, see we're not seeing the name Gabriel at all, right? You know why? Because it's not about anybody else but Jesus. So the other names are not even given, but it was given. Gabriel's name could be given over here with Zach and Elizabeth. Gabriel's name could be given over here with Mary and Joseph. But now we're talking about the birth of the Savior, of God himself. Nobody else's name matters because he's the name above all names. It's all about his name. But there are going to be those witnesses. There are going to be those John the Baptists. And here's the shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night. They're doing what they're called to do. They're doing what they're paid to do. They're doing what they're supposed to do. They got flocks to take care of. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Can you believe this? The clouds burst open, and there's an angel standing there, and it's the pitch dark, but whoo, Shekinah glory of the Lord blows the night sky open. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Why does he say that? Because they were greatly afraid. Megas afraid. Megas afraid. Then the angel of the Lord said, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to who? Some of you chosen people. All people. Which, by the way, since I just used the word chosen, listen to me. I haven't said it for a while, but know this, uh, that, that series, that mini-series, The Chosen, is from the pit of hell. And if nobody else will say it, I'll say it. It's from the pit of hell. The Mormons are involved with it. Everything else is involved with it. People are following it because the world right now is coming into a convergence where everything wants you to follow what they're saying, their message, and not hear the voice of God. It's the same old thing packaged again. The devil did. You listen to what they say. It doesn't follow the Bible. It doesn't proclaim Jesus properly. I don't care how entertaining it is, how theatrical it is. I don't care how much money they spend on it. I don't care whose son he is. Listen, it's evil. It's from the pit of hell. Read your Bible. Get away from Hollywood and the Mormons telling you about Jesus. Sorry, I'm a little bit emphatic this Christmas morning. Listen, He's bringing good news, great joy, which will be to all people. Get you a calculator. That's everybody. That's a whomsoever. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever shall believe upon him would not perish but have everlasting life. It doesn't just pick a few. Why would God will that all men come to repentance if he knew that some wasn't? Why would he say, my son's going to be born in Bethlehem, Ephrata, if he knew that he wasn't going to make it there? See, he said it 
and it was according to his word. And and, and Quirinius and, and them call this taxing. And so they get there even at nine months pregnant. And the baby's born exactly where they were at. Not in Nazareth where they were living at. Not in Nazareth, 70 miles away. This is where they've homesteaded in and, and, and Joseph's got a blanket and he's warming Mary's feet and yes, I'm embellishing and they're ready to have this baby and then all of a sudden the edict comes down from this tyrannical government and it moves and fulfills a 700-year-old prophecy. Listen, God knows what he's doing and it's going to always be according to his word, not according to Hollywood where we have the stars who have fallen from heaven dictating what people are doing. Why are we this so dense in the church? His people. Why would we be so lost that we would listen to what the world says and not read our Bibles and ask the Spirit what He's saying to the church? Behold, I stand and knock. And if anyone will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. That's what the Spirit's saying. That's what Jesus is saying. He wants social intercourse with you so that he can birth himself in you. It's because of him, not because of you. It's his plan, not your plan. And we need to get this in the church today. Because we are moved by so many things that have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. And it's for all people. All people. Well, what is it? It's verse 11. For there is born to you. Personal. See that? Personal. You. This day, in the city of David, Bethlehem, same place David was from, a Savior who is Christ the Lord, the anointed of God, Lord Kurios, supreme in authority. And this will be a sign. Listen, they're just looking in awe. They're afraid. He says, do not be afraid. Listen, they're just looking. They're afraid. They didn't say anything about a sign. They didn't say anything about anything. And he just automatically says, and this will be the sign. Here's the proof. Here's the evidence to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. There's the sign. not a babe anymore he's a grown man he lived 33 years he honored and obeyed his his father and his mother he honored and obeyed his father in heaven he lived a perfect life a sinless life and he was betrayed he was arrested he was spit on he was mocked he was beaten he was crucified he died for our sin he redeemed those who will trust and believe and come and and listen Believe, put your spiritual well-being and your trust into him. Then he will seal you and put his seed in you. And he will grow that into fruits of righteousness in your life. Practically, positionally, it's there when you believe it. And what happened? When, as soon as this announcement was made about the sign, suddenly there was, with the angel, 
alongside Para, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, thousands and thousands and thousands of angels potentially, multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, notice what they're doing, they're praising God. What should we be doing? Praising God. If we, listen, everything about our lives, listen, it should be a praise to God. Prayer is a praise to God. Worship is a praise to God. Everything about our life should be a praise to God if we believe that there was a babe born. If we believe in this Savior, His death, burial, and resurrection, everything else should be a praise to God. Even when we speak in tongues, it's a praise to God. Everything that goes on should be led by the Spirit. It's a praise to God for His glorious works, for His glorious plan, for His glorious redemption, for Him overcoming the grave and defeating the works of darkness and the devil destroying them and casting them down. What did they say when they were praising God and they were saying, here's the testimony, glory to God in the highest. Remember, remember Jesus is the son of the highest. John was the prophet of the highest. And now we have glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. It's peace from God that's being offered in His own goodwill. Because of His own mercy, He provides grace. It's not because anything that man has done, but in a goodwill, He's waving a flag and saying, you can have peace with me. This is for men that are born sinners. He's reached out His hand to save you, and all you have to do is take it. He's reached out to us he's come down to us he's born just like he said he would be just like the prophecy says in in well let's just go there isaiah what is it isaiah 9 i didn't even mark it but we'll go there isaiah 9 6 And seven, for unto us a child is born. Here's this child born, normal child, except he fits the prophecies. Unto us a son is given, he's a son, and God gives him to us as a sacrifice for our sins, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and His name will be called. His character, His nature, His will, His authority. Wonderful counselor. He's a wonderful counselor. He's one that comes alongside and teaches and will give us all the wisdom we need to live a spiritual life, to follow and obey Him if we'll come and listen for His voice, if we'll hear His voice, if we can hear His knock. He's mighty God, El Gabor. He's the everlasting Father, and He's the Prince of Peace. Remember that? Prince of Salem, Prince of Peace. That's a Melchizedek, isn't it? Same title. Not going to go there right now. Just wanted you to see that. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. It's eternal. Upon the throne of David, he come through Joseph and Mary, who came from David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. Both are going to happen. From that time forward, from the time that he was born, from the time that he was given, even forever, 
And notice how it's going to be performed. Not by you, not by power and might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this, will do this, will finish this, will complete this. Amazing that God would reach out to us who were lost and didn't even know it. We were somewhere off in our own esteem. We were somewhere off doing our own thing, thinking we were okay because we were following man's plans, man's dream, the American dream, and we were hitting on all cylinders. And then God come and said, wait a minute, you need to wake up. You're headed for hell. Verse 15. So it was when the angels had gone away from the men into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, notice they said it to one another, it was joint, there was unity, they all agreed. Man, we ate too much pizza. And I had a crazy nightmare of the clouds bursting open. No, 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 listen, listen, I want you to understand this because this is what happens when you hear the word of God, when you believe the word of God, when you meet the son of God, you got to investigate it. you got to unwrap the package. you got to find out what's going on. And these are shepherds. Do you know what shepherds were? Listen, do you remember what shepherds were? Let me just tell you about this. Shepherds were the lowlifes, the dregs of society. And God didn't come. The angel didn't come and go, hey, hey, uh, uh, Caesar, Augustus, hey, Quirinius. My son's getting ready to be born over in a barn. They came to the low life. They didn't come to those that were ruling. They came to the lowest dregs of society. You know, when shepherds come in, they were called, they were called vagabonds. They were called thieves. They were called nomads. That's why they're living in the field. They, when the shepherds would come in, people would go, Nell it down, shepherds in town. They would, they, would, they would be freaking out because these guys had the worst reputation in town. And you see the clouds burst open. Listen to me. The clouds burst open to announce it to those who were lowly in life and knew where they were at. They knew who they were. And they knew they were the outcasts. Once again, the disciples that Jesus picked, they were the outcasts. They were kicked out of school. They were the ones that the schools of higher learning, Hebrew high, told them, we do not choose you. Gamaliel and them do not want to teach you. You don't show any promise. Go home and do what your fathers are already doing. And Jesus came and picked them from the back of the line. Listen, it's not those who are self-righteous. It's not those who think they're okay. It's not those that can compete. It's those that are separated. It's those that see that this is not my home. So he comes to these shepherds that were like what you might call a gypsy. Do you remember that down in, down in Goshen when it happened down in Egypt? Remember when Joseph, he will add, brought all of his family 70-some people down, and, and Pharaoh said, well, keep them over there away from us because shepherds are unsavory to us. 
But if there's any of them that can take care of our animals, let them take care of our animals also. But what happened when Jacob come in? This supplanter, this deceiver, this hill catcher, this layer of snares is what his name means in the Hebrews. He came in and blessed Pharaoh. The lesser blessed the greater because the lesser knew that he was a servant of the Most High God. We need to understand our identity in Christ and not let somebody's title scare us from telling them about Jesus. There's a lot of people that you and I might think, well, they're doing good. They've got a, this and that and the other thing, and they got PhDs. I don't want to share Jesus with them, but they're the ones that need Jesus. And they don't even know it. They're in worse shape than you are. And yet we're told in the world to go chase what they got. That's upside down. That's instead of Christ. Chase what they got. Chase the PhD, which is permanent head damage. That's what it stands for. If you don't check it with the Word of God, your PhD will cause permanent head damage. You will be so full of your own esteem and your own righteousness that you will miss Almighty God who came to die for you. We need to tell Him to wake up. We need to come to him wise as serpent, but gentle as doves. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven. This is verse 15. What did they do? These shepherds said to one another, this is in unity. They, they said, what are we going to do? Let's now go to the house of bread. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. They knew they had heard from the Lord. They knew that the angel had spoke to them and that they had heard from God and it's been made known to them and they could not do anything but go investigate it. Listen, if you've heard from God, if you've come to salvation, how can you not investigate who this God is, what he's doing, what he's done, what he's going to do. If you truly have come to know God, how can you set and go, oh yeah, I'm saved, I said a prayer. How can you not investigate a God who would save a wretch like me? So they came in haste and they found, when you seek, you will find. They found their rebellion, and he will add, and the salvation of the Lord laying in a feeding trough. Mary and Joseph, notice the order of the names. Their rebellion, he will add to Jesus. Because if you search and find, then your rebellion will be added to Jesus. But if you ignore it, you'll never see the salvation of the Lord. 17, now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. You hear about it? You investigate it? You seek after, then you see him, 
then you'll speak about him. But if you never investigate the things you've heard, you never investigate the package you've been given, the salvation you've been given, you're never going to see the truths of the gospel. And so you're never going to make widely known what you have heard. See, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But until you investigate it to make it your own, your personal gift that he has talked to you and shown you what is good and acceptable before him, you will never tell somebody else unless it becomes your personal inheritance because once it's yours you're going to give it away you're not going to want to keep it you're going to say others need to know this and this is even the shepherds notice 18 and all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds why why because it wasn't what shepherds talk about. It, they, their lives changed. They would be talking about sheep and fart jokes and all this other chaos in the world. Shepherds didn't talk about that. Priests did. Levites did. People around the temple did. But these shepherds have woke up. They've investigated. They've heard. And they've seen the Christ child. So they made it widely known. And their character changed. And people took notice of it because of what the Spirit of God did in them when they believed. Oh, yeah, you could have probably found a whole bunch of things to say bad about them, too. Yeah, I was watching that shepherd, and he was talking about Jesus, but I also seen him pick his nose. He still picks his nose. I'm being facetious. There's no perfect people. There's no perfect saints. There's no perfect pastors. And you put anybody underneath the microscope, you're going to find things wrong with them until they see Jesus face to face. We need to wake up in the church and walk by faith. Have you seen him? Do you understand your inheritance? Are you opening this gift? Are you making it known? Are you telling others? Not because of who you are, not because of your power and strength, but by the will of the Holy Spirit who's in you. If you've investigated, if indeed he abides in you, that's what we need to ask ourselves. Am I playing games? You want to know it this side of heaven. You don't want to find out that side of heaven. They marveled because they began to speak differently, talk differently. It wasn't a normal shepherd anymore. And then we see what their rebellion did. Mary did. Maria, bitter. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And that's where you should keep all this truth. And meditate on it. Turn it over in your heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Notice that. First, somebody tells you, you investigate it. You've already heard it. You get a little bit of faith from hearing. And now you go see for yourself if it's true. And then you return to the place from where you left and you tell everybody about it. Make it widely known. Make it widely known. You know, I was I had my notes, and I, I'll just tell you, it's in my notes. Most of my notes I left at home, and that's just fine. Notes drive me crazy anyway. I was rehearsing this morning the thing that 
years ago, my pastor went to church depressed, suicidal at this time of the year because it was always so crazy for him. And he shows up at this little Baptist church dressed in a flannel shirt with a big beard and a hat on and duct tape on his boot. And they wouldn't let him in the door. He said, son, go, go home and come back next week dressed a little bit better. And that is a very, very sad, sad situation that a church would turn somebody away that is looking for hope, that is looking for Jesus this time of year. But the sadder testimony is that somebody would show up and the doors are locked and the people are not even at the building, but they're at home. That's a sadder testimony. How far we have fallen in the church today. And I don't say anything about God's bride, but we need to wake up and understand that people are literally going to go to hell. And it may be us if we're playing some type of cultural Christianity and the Spirit of God isn't moving us to, to investigate because how can the God of the universe and that power come and live in your heart and nothing change in your life? Salvation has redemption and it has glorification with it. And I'm not telling you to, to do it in your own strength, but I am saying work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because there's a spirit out there instead of Christ that would want you to worship Santa Claus and something that replaces Christ and to fit in with a cultural scene that makes it seem like you're okay. But once again, John the Baptist was different when he was called by God. And they would have put him in an insane asylum today. They'd have put him on medicine if he came with honey running down his beard and wild locusts and dressed in camel hairs, talking about there's one coming after me that you need to follow. So when we fit in to the norm, are we just given in to apostasy? Are we just given in to societal norms? And political correctness? Oh, I'm not saying be different for the sake of being different. But are you different because you met this king who come as a baby and died for us? Has meeting Jesus and believing in God changed your life? There's always going to be evidence. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, considering the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Merry Christmas. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this babe born of a virgin in Bethlehem. But thank you more so that this babe was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and obeyed you perfectly, even to the point of death on a cross. Thank you for this greatest gift that decorated that first tree with his life. 
May we lay down our lives and be wrapped in your love, wrapped in your righteousness, because it's our only hope. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear?